You're listening to the Marathon Church Podcast. We exist to build communities that love Jesus, love people, and live on purpose. To learn more about Marathon Church, visit MarathonChurch.org. We hope that this encourages you and builds your faith. Enjoy this week's message. Hey, good morning, everybody. So glad to see you today here at Marathon. Thankful for all of you that are watching online. Thanks for joining us. I hope you guys have the app and we'll follow along there today. I've got uh, tons of stuff for you. Um, and uh, we're going to wrap up week four of Unconvinced. And um, I, I don't know what all this next series is about, you know, about being offended, but you might get offended today. I, I apologize in advance if you're offended today by this message, but um, we're, we're, we're going to roll with it. We're going to wrap up this series called Unconvinced. And um, this series has been intense. Today will be a little bit intense. And then next Sunday, we're going to do this Q&A panel, and there's already some intense questions, and we invite more questions. If you want to send your questions to us, text your questions to this number right here. You might want to screenshot that, or if you're on the app, just hit the little text uh, tab there, and and you're ready to go. Uh, We're going to tackle some tough questions next week, so come and be be here and bring somebody with you. So Brian started this by talking about this. He said, if God exists... Why is there so much suffering and evil in the world? And he walked with us through this idea of bad things happening to good people and good things happening to bad people. And, uh, and he said this, that whatever pain you experience, that God uses our, pre- our pain to bring about his purpose. There, there's a reason behind it. And he said that even when we have doubts, God is still our best solution. Sometimes instead of answering our questions, God wants to be our solution. And our prayer is that in this series, maybe you have more questions than when you started, but at the end of the day that you're finding Jesus as your solution. And then Eddie talked about what happens beyond the grave, and he tackled the, the tough subject, subject, the problem of heaven and hell. And he said some crazy things for us to really process. And he said, our bodies are temporary, but our souls are eternal And he said, one minute after you die, your eternal destination is fixed, set, and unchangeable. Your eternity is set. Then Chase talked with us last week about what we do when you've lost your faith. This is such a tough subject. There are so many people that have been Jesus followers or are Jesus followers that are struggling with their faith. There's so many people that are doing what they call in Christian circles now deconstructing their faith, where they're going back and they're rethinking following Jesus and all those kinds of things. And, and those are some tough questions. And, and today's question is just as tough, and I want to try to help by answering this question. Is Jesus the only way? Is Jesus the only way to God? Is Jesus the only way to heaven? Now, let me say this right up front. I, I hope to help you today. Um, and you may remember that Eddie said I was smart. I am not smart, contrary to what Eddie thinks. I'm, I'm not that smart, but I do know enough. I am smart enough to like seek out smart people and experts in their field so that I can learn and grow. Um, and by the way, I don't have time to footnote everything that I'm going to share today, but I'll, I'll tell you that a lot of what I'm going to say comes from a book called The Problem of Jesus by Pastor Mark Clark. Uh, Mark is a pastor in Canada, and uh, he's one of the best that I've read and heard uh, when it comes to addressing the issues of Jesus, the, the issues of God in this you know, post-Christian, post-Scripture culture. 
Uh, he's up there in Vancouver, Canada, and when it comes to skepticism, like they're years beyond us. They're way more skeptical than even we are in 21st century America. And so uh, he's really good, and I highly recommend uh, his book. He's got a brand new one coming out, too, called The Problem of God. And uh, you, you might want to grab that. So let me ask you this. I just want to start with this today. How many of you believe in logic? Like you think logic is a real thing. You try to apply logic to things that happen in your life, right? If, you, if you're watching online and you believe in logic, give us, give us a wave in the chat. Uh, you're going to need to think logically today, all right? I want you to think logically because I want to begin today talking about the idea of exclusivity. The idea of exclusivity. Is there an exclusive way to God? It's probably one of the top two questions in our culture right now, right up there with the question of hell. And, and there's serious tension around this question. There's serious tension around this idea. In, in America today, when it comes to the idea that Jesus is the only way to God, the only way to heaven, people think that it's completely wrong for Christianity to claim that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Our culture tells us that it's completely wrong of us to say that Jesus is the exclusive way to God, that he's the exclusive way to heaven. Now, there's no debate that this is what Jesus and Christianity claims. Jesus said it himself, and there was a guy named Thomas, and you may have heard him called Doubting Thomas, but even before he was Doubting Thomas, he had questions. And uh, Jesus was telling his followers, look, I'm I'm gonna die, Okay, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. They're going to crucify me. And they're going to bury me, but I'm going to rise again the third day. And he said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you where I'm going. And Thomas goes, okay, first of all, we we don't know where you're going, and we don't know how to get there. And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father. No one can come to God except through me. And that last sentence is the problem. That's the scandal. That's the tension. No one can come to God except through me. Jesus is claiming that he is the exclusive way to God, that he's the exclusive way to heaven. He's saying the only way that people who who are disconnected from God by their sin, the only way that they can get back to God is through me. Jesus is the only way. Now that statement, by default, tells us that all other religions are wrong. And everybody has to wrestle with this. Because that exclusive thinking is unacceptable in our culture. Our culture wants to say that every path is the same. All roads lead to God. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. And if you believe that Jesus is the only way to God, you're seen as narrow-minded, bigoted, and exclusive. In our culture, people want everything to be inclusive. So in America, we push back against this idea that Jesus is the only way. But, But here's the truth. All roads lead to God is illogical. You have to think logically about that. All roads lead to God is illogical. And I know, God forbid, that we bring logic into anything, logic into the church. It is a logical impossibility that all religions lead to God. 
Now, I don't want to get too technical today, but in logic, there's something called the law of non-contradiction. The law of non-contradiction says contradictory propositions cannot be both true in the same sense at the same time. And listen, we know this. Everybody knows this. Two things can't, if, if they're opposing, they can't both be true in the same sense at the same time. And th this is what we have to understand. Just, just like the idea of hell, okay, the, the repulsion, the rejection, that the idea that Jesus is the only way is not about logic. It's about emotion. It, it leaves a bad taste in our mouth. It makes us uncomfortable. The idea of hell makes us uncomfortable. The idea that Jesus is the only way to God makes us uncomfortable. But just because we don't like it does not make it wrong or logically implausible. Now, the view of exclusivity is the most logical idea. Now, here's the deal about inclusivity, about including all beliefs. It's all about trying to get along. The idea of including all beliefs is, is just about trying to get through Thanksgiving dinner, right? Without World War III erupting. Now, the law of non-contradiction does not mean that Christianity is right. What it does mean, though, is that all religions can't be right. Hinduism, Judaism, you know, uh, Mormonism, Islam, atheism, agnosticism, they can't all be right. They can't all be true at the same time because they don't believe the same things. Now, here's the thing. The thing is, we live in a multicultural society. That is a beautiful thing. That is what America is all about. We live in a multicultural society. But we confuse cultural pluralism with metaphysical pluralism. Our country is built on cultural pluralism. We are this incredible mosaic of culture and religion and thought. And we have all of this wonderful diversity in our country. It's a beautiful thing. And by the way, as an American, I will defend to the ends of the earth, to my last dying breath, the right of Muslims, Marxists, Jews, atheists, Mormons, whoever, to believe what they believe and to speak freely about those beliefs. The problem arises, though, when we move from cultural pluralism to metaphysical pluralism where we believe that it's all true. That, that's the tension. We, we can defend their right to believe it. We'll, we'll defend it you know, to our dying breath. But it doesn't make their belief valid. From the very beginning, Christianity has been exclusive. From the time that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, to when Peter stood before the religious leaders of Jerusalem and proclaimed, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name besides the name of Jesus, no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. From the very beginning it was, you're a sinner, and your sin has separated you from God. 
And Jesus came to earth, was born of a virgin, and lived a perfect life. And he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. And then he rose from the dead. From the very beginning, it's been that and that alone. And Jesus is the only way. The only way to get to heaven is to put your faith in him. The only way to get back to God is is through Jesus. You can't work for it. You can't do enough good things. You can't do enough for God. By the way, every other religion, every other religion except for Christianity, is about doing good to earn your way to God. Every one of them. Christianity says that not because you're good, not because you do good, it's not about anything that you can do, it's all about what Jesus has done. God is good and God loves you, and in spite of you, Jesus died for you. And culture pushes against that, and culture wants to include everybody, and culture rejects that Jesus is the only way. It's like in Talladega Nights, when Ricky Bobby thinks he's on fire and he's yelling, help me Jesus, help me Jewish God, help me Allah. He just wants to cover all his bases, right? Listen, truth is truth. Amy and I flew back from Dallas yesterday. Uh, every year we try to take an anniversary trip, and we took an anniversary trip to Waco, Texas, and Amy did the whole Magnolia, you know, worship at the feet of Joanna Gaines thing, you know. That, like, if, if heaven wasn't real, she'd want to go to Waco, to Magnolia. Like, we did the whole thing. And when we got on the plane to come home, I had seat 18F. Said so right there on my boarding pass, I'm an 18F. If somebody would have come up and said, hey, I'm an 18F, I'm like, no, I'm an 18F. And we both would not have been right. I was an 18F. Truth is truth. Two plus two is always four. It doesn't, tell, it, it doesn't matter what this like, new crazy math that my grandson does. It doesn't matter what that says. Two plus two is always four. Truth is always truth. But, but we give other beliefs credit so that we can get along. If we don't give any other thought credit, we get what we have in our country now. Nobody's allowed to disagree. Nobody's allowed to be wrong. Listen, we give other beliefs credit so that we can get along. But civility does not mean validity. Civility does not mean agreement. Civility and living peacefully does not mean theological agreement. It does not mean theological compromise. But listen, they can't all be right. And, and this isn't objective. This isn't like you know, Jordan and LeBron and Brady and Mahomes and the ACC and the SEC. Oh, never mind. That's not in question. But, you know, it's not just about your opinion. Listen, when it comes to eternity, it can't all be true. We, we need to get along with, with the atheist, the Muslim, the Mormon, the JW. You, you can love them. In fact, Jesus has commanded you to love them as he loves. You can love them. You can get along with them. But you're never going to say we're both right. I have a dear friend who's a Muslim, and uh, I, I love him like a brother. And, and we've had some difficult and heated conversations, and, and, and we always part as friends. But we have never had a conversation where at the end we said, we're both right. At the end of our conversations, we say, I, I love you and I respectfully disagree. 
They, they can't be both right. It, it's illogical. However, many people that are much smarter than me buy into the illogical. Rabbi Shmuley Boteach, um, he's on Shalom in the Home. I don't know if any of you have seen that. It's probably not big in the Christian crowd. But um, he was also, you know, he's called America's rabbi, and he was a spiritual advisor and confidant for Michael Jackson. And he said, I'm absolutely against any religions that say one faith is superior to another. I don't see how that is anything different than spiritual racism. My first question for the rabbi would be, then why are you Jewish? Because you're saying that's the one that's right. And don't, don't think that he threw the R word in there just by happenstance. Gandhi said, my position is that all great religions are fundamentally equal. They're all the same. Oprah Winfrey said, one of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there's only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to God. This is the worldview today. The rabbi and Oprah, that, that's the view in our culture. All roads lead to God. Richard Mao, who's an American theologian and philosopher, he was president of Fuller Seminary for 20 years. He said, Christian civility does not commit us to a relativistic perspective. Civility does not require us to approve of what other people believe or do. It's one thing to insist that other people have the right to express their basic convictions. It's another thing to say that they're right in doing so. In other words, he's saying we should be civil, we should get along. It doesn't mean they're right. And then Tim Keller, who's a pastor on Manhattan in New York City, um, and a great apologist, he said, he sat on a, on a panel with a, an imam and, and a rabbi at a university, and he said, we all agreed on the statement. The imam and the rabbi and, and Tim agreed on the statement. If Christians are right about Jesus being God, the Muslims and the Jews fail in a serious way to love God as God really is. But if Muslims and Jews are right that Jesus is not God, but rather a teacher or prophet, then Christians fail in a serious way to love God as God really is. And he said several of the students were quite disturbed by this because to insist that one faith has a better grasp on truth than others was seen as intolerant. So if you believe that Jesus is the only way to God, you're intolerant. Listen, not everybody's right about God. And it's illogical to think so. And listen, disagreement does not make you intolerant of the person who disagrees with you. You are commanded to love them as Jesus has loved. The problem is that people are forming their spiritual and worldviews based on emotion. Atheists believe that all religions are wrong. Pluralists believe that all religions are right. It doesn't make any sense. And listen, ultimately, every worldview is exclusive. Every worldview, by definition, excludes all other worldviews. All of us are not right. All, all beliefs are by default excluding others. Now, here's the great irony of inclusivity, of including everyone. By trying to include everybody, we exclude everybody because nobody's right. 
When you say, I'm right, all roads lead to heaven, you're saying everybody else is wrong. So this is what each one of us must do. We, we must get past the idea that we are intolerant or bigoted or a hater if we don't include every view. And see, we, we think the idea of inclusion will free us, but the truth is it enslaves us. Now, just a few examples to really help you get your head around this. All right, think about this. If all religions are right, then what about the Ammonites that we can read about in ancient texts and in the Bible who sacrificed their children to the god Molech? Were they right? How about Hitler? It's fine. It's just what he believes. And please do not make a mistake. That was a religion. That was a worldview. That was a belief system. Was Hitler right? If they're all right. Uh, how about Jim Jones and the 918 people, 304 who were children, that died with him in Guyana? Was he right? And what about 9-11? When they flew, flew planes into buildings in the name of Allah, were they right? If you think that you th if you think everybody's right, tell a Muslim that a Jew will be with him in paradise. Tell a Jew that a Muslim will be with him in heaven. So, folks, here's what we must do: we have to get over our desire to be tolerant so that we can find the truth. I want you to check this out. I'm, this, this will absolutely leave a mark. All right, A survey done by Probe Ministries in 2020, 60% of people between the ages of 18 and 39 who identify as born-again Christians agreed with the statement that Buddha, Muhammad, and Jesus are all valid paths to God. 60%. Of all people under 40 in this country that claim to be Jesus followers think he's not the only way, that there's other ways you can get to heaven. By the way, logic does not support that belief. It comes from an inclusivity in our culture. Now listen, when you go looking for the truth, I mean, when you get in a real pursuit of the truth, you will find that Christianity has better answers on the origin of the world and man, better answers on pain, better answers on suffering, better answers on evil. And, and I know this. When we come to grips with our sin and we meet Jesus, he recalibrates everything. Jesus changes everything. He changes the way that you live. He changes your relationships. He changes your marriage. He changes the way that you raise your children. Jesus recalibrates everything. And a lot of the problem that our culture has with Jesus is they don't want him recalibrating things. People don't want Jesus changing everything. And listen, I fear, and it's seen right here, even among Jesus' followers, we're choosing comfort over the hard work of discovering who Jesus is. By the way, if anybody tells you that Christianity is just a crutch or that following Jesus is like, it's like the easy way out, ask one of our students. 
Ask one of our middle school students, ask one of our high school students if it's easy to follow Jesus in the 21st century. Ask them, ask them if it's easier or harder to follow Jesus or not. I want to tell you that the easy way, the easy way is abandoning, abandoning the hunt for truth and hiding behind everything is right. Hiding behind everybody's right. So, with all of that said, let me get you some truths to get you started in your pursuit of truth. The first is this. Jesus claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. And we saw that in John 14, 6 earlier. That is what he claimed. I'm not going to take a lot of time, but let me just quickly unpack this for you. The way, and he means the way to heaven, the way to God. The way is a person. The way is a person, and his name is Jesus. In fact, those first believers, those first century Christians, they called themselves, they referred to themselves as the way because they were following the way. The way is a person. The truth is a person. The way is a person and the truth is a person. Let me give you some context for truth. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and I think he pointed to himself, and the truth will set you free. When Jesus says that, he's not talking about random facts that are true. He's saying, I am the truth. I'm the way and I'm the truth. The truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. And the life is a person. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying, and everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. He was getting, to raise, getting ready to raise Lazarus from the dead. But you know what he's saying? He's referring back to creation. He said, everything that is living came from me. I'm the life. I'm the only one that brings life. The life is a person. Jesus is life. Jesus and Christianity claim that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And Christianity, and more specifically Jesus, make the bold claim that he is the only way of salvation, the only way to have your sins forgiven, the only way to see God, the only way to get to heaven. Secondly, Jesus fulfilled over 60 messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. Now, I don't want to get too far into any specific prophecies, but let me share this with you and you guys know math is not my thing, but check this out. According to the American Scientific Affiliation, the probability of one person fulfilling just eight of the Old Testament Messianic prophecies is one in that number. <laughs> I, I had to Google it. That is 100 quadrillion. I didn't even know there was quadrillion. The chances of Jesus just fulfilling eight of those, one in 100 quadrillion, he fulfilled over 60 messianic prophecies. I mean, what are the chances of that? One more really important point, the most important point, and I'll spend most of our time there today. The scripture and the evidence points to a literal death and resurrection of Jesus. Y'all, if you don't get anything else today, I want you to get, to, get this, because this is it. This is why we do everything that we do. 
Let me tell you something. If Jesus, and he claimed, rose from the dead, I'm following him and I'm doing everything he said. If somebody has risen from the dead, I'm going to believe and follow everything they say. The reason that I have given my life to following Jesus is because he's the only one that said, I'm going to die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins, and then I'm going to rise from the dead, and he pulled it off. He's the only one that claimed he would do it. He's the only one that said he would do it, and he's the only one that did it. Nobody else. If you rise from the dead, I'm going to follow you and do everything you say. Now, in the Bible, we have preserved for us four accounts of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And y'all, those are eyewitness accounts. And they all state that Jesus died by crucifixion and then rose from the dead. And there, there is so much evidence. The record that we have in the Bible tells us that everybody saw him die. And then there are at least 10 historians apart from the Bible, not Jesus followers, that will verify that Jesus was a real person and that he was crucified. More than 500 people saw him alive after the resurrection. And listen, there's, there's so many myths and conspiracy theories out there because we love a good conspiracy theory, don't we? We don't, we don't even have time to mention them. There, there's so much speculation, so much, so much shade thrown on the eyewitness accounts. Oh, th those were written, written you know, way later. They're, they're unreliable. It's just a made-up fable. Well, listen, do you think the writers of the accounts of Jesus' life would be willing to die for their fable? And then there's Paul, the guy that we call Apostle Paul, who wrote most of what we know as the New Testament. This guy, Paul, was known as Saul. And at that time, he was wrecking the church. He was trying to destroy the church because uh, the church was messing with his religion. And he, he was having you know, Christians arrested and beaten and ex executed. And then one day he came face to face with the resurrected Jesus. And I'm telling you that nothing will lead you to believe in Jesus like coming face to face with him and having him call you out. And that's what happened to Saul who became Paul. And listen, it's too simplistic to say well, I don't believe the Bible, so I don't believe in the resurrection. Folks, we, we believe that Jesus rose from the dead because we have eyewitness accounts. And then we have the accounts of the amazing things that these people did because of the resurrection. The, these eyewitnesses, they, they did not, you know, do these extraordinary things because of Jesus' teaching. These eyewitnesses did not give their lives. They, they weren't executed. They weren't martyred for Jesus' teaching. They, they gave their lives because of what they had seen. They gave their lives because they had seen the risen Jesus. They gave their lives because they couldn't keep quiet about what they had seen. They died for telling everybody that would listen that Jesus rose from the dead. So, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have good reason to believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. If you're not a Christ follower, and maybe you're at church today because somebody promised to buy you lunch, I want to begin to help you work through the idea that Jesus is the only way. And if you're watching online and, and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I, I, want, I want to help you start to unpack what it means. I want you to wrestle with this tension. 
And, and here's what happens. It's a natural thing for us to do. We, we want to separate Jesus' life and his teaching from his resurrection. It, it's a natural thing to want to separate those two things. Because everybody loves Jesus, right? Everybody loves the Sermon on the Mount. The truth will set you free. Everybody loves the story of the prodigal son. Everybody loves that, G- that Jesus fed the poor and healed the sick. Everybody loves it that Jesus was full of grace and truth. I mean, even if you're not a Jesus follower, there's a lot to like about Jesus. There's a lot to love about Jesus. So we've tried to separate what we appreciate about Christianity and what we appreciate, appreciate about Jesus from the resurrection. We, we like the teaching. We like the stories, the forgiveness. We, we like the forgiveness part of Jesus, but Jesus rose from the dead. Mm, I, I don't think I'm buying that. I'm going to hang on to the Christian part. I'll hang on to the teaching part, the golden rule part. I love that part. But don't make me believe in a literal physical resurrection. There's a big tendency for that in our culture. There's a big tendency for that in the church. It may be where some of you are. You're not going to say anything bad about Jesus. You're not going to disrespect Jesus. But if you were pressed to say whether you believe that he actually rose from the dead, you'd be like, "Ah, I don't know. Can I tell you that everything you know about Jesus, everything you appreciate about Jesus, the sayings of Jesus that you quote, the story of Jesus that, that you love, the example that Jesus left you, it all came from men who believed that Jesus rose from the dead. So let's see if we could put a wrap on this. This guy, Paul, who came face to face with the resurrected Jesus, wrote some letters to a church that he got going in Corinth. And two of those letters end up in the Bible. And, and they were dealing at the church in Corinth. They were dealing with the same issues that we deal with today. Some people were like, you know, like people here. I like Jesus, but the resurrection, yeah, I don't think so. They, they wanted to separate the teaching of Jesus from the resurrection. They loved their church. They loved all the good parts of the church. But they decided that they were too intellectual, too sophisticated, too scientific to believe that a man could literally physically come back to life. So there was a movement in Corinth to be like, yep, let's be Christians, but let's not believe in the literal resurrection. So Paul writes this letter about 20 or 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead, and he's very explicit. This is what he writes. And if Christ has not been raised then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Now, I, w- I would never say this, <laughs> but let me just repeat what Paul said. If Jesus didn't physically rise from the dead, your faith is useless. I, I know it's very extreme and it's very quiet. Paul said... My preaching is useless. And I, many of you would agree. It's really hurtful. Paul is saying his preaching is useless. If you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then don't read that like love is kind, love never gives up stuff at your wedding. It's from the same letter. Same guy, same letter. He said, your faith... My preaching is useless if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And he doesn't just say my preaching. He says our preaching. Who's he talking about when he says our? He's talking about Peter and James and John and Matthew and Mark. He's talking about all of them. Paul is saying the resurrection is essential. 
and it actually gets worse. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave, but that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. Now, don't miss this. Paul is saying, if there is no resurrection, you really shouldn't pay any attention to anything that we say. Because we're just a bunch of liars. And we're not just lying about events. We aren't just embellishing. We aren't just fudging details. We're lying about God. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we are the worst kind of liars. And, and I know I, I'm drawing a line here. Actually, Paul, Paul is drawing a line here. Paul is saying, if you don't believe in the resurrection, then just forget about it. Don't take inspiration or motivation from them. Don't quote me at your wedding, because I lied. And it gets even more intense. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. Not only is your faith useless, your following of Jesus useless, you're still guilty of your sins. There is no forgiveness. There is no forgiveness of sins. Without the resurrection, your sins are not forgiven. There's not enough good that you can do to restore your standing with God. And you're like, okay, hold on, Paul. Let me tell you what's up. I mean, I live in 21st century, in 21st century America. Like, we know stuff. I know things. Let me tell you what I believe, Paul. I believe God is a forgiving God. And Paul would say, well, where'd you get that? My grandma told me. Well, where did she get it? Well, she went to the Baptist church her whole life. Oh, so she heard it from a sermon preached from the New Testament. If there's no resurrection, you can't believe anything we wrote, he says. We're liars and your faith is useless. You'd be like, oh, oh I got one, I got one. God is love. Well, the first guy to the empty tomb wrote that. Oh, how about, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Same guy, first one to the tomb. Listen, it doesn't matter where you stand with God. It doesn't matter if you believe the Bible or never read it. Simply because you grew up in, and live in this culture in the West, your idea of heaven, your idea of God being loving, forgiving, merciful, gracious, you got from these guys that wrote the New Testament. And the guy who wrote most of it says, if you don't believe in the resurrection, it's all useless. If you don't believe in the resurrection, then all things Christian, forget about it. See, you don't, you don't get to resurrect his teaching and his morals and his ethics and leave his body in the ground. And then he says, and in that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. Now, if you grew up in the kind of church that I grew up in, when you see the word lost, you think that means they went to hell. You're lost. You're going to hell. That's not what lost means. Lost means you don't know where they are. Lost means you don't know where something is. If there is no resurrection, 
We have no idea what happened to the spirit and soul of our loved ones who have died. We don't know where they are. See, our entire concept of heaven is formed by the New Testament. But if you don't believe in the, in the resurrection, you can't trust it. Again, the guy who said the most about heaven, that whole revelation thing, was the first guy to the empty tomb. Paul is saying that his entire life and ministry is based on the resurrection. And he, he begins to wrap it up and he says, and if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. If the only thing that we get from following Jesus is what we get in this life, then people should feel sorry for us. And I don't need to explain that to you. You get it. Everything that you've done for Christ in the church is useless. You've wasted your life and people should feel sorry for you. All, all the serving you did in the church, sorry. The marriage you stayed in because the scripture teaches you to stay, sorry. All those church services you attended, sorry. In fact, he finishes by saying this way down in verse 32, and he says, if there is no resurrection, let's feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. It's kind of crazy, right? Well, let's jump back up to verse 20 because this is it. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead and he is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. He says, but in fact, Jesus did rise from the dead and so that loved one that went on before you, you can be certain that she's with him. You can be certain that he is with them, with him. But it is a fact. Jesus Christ has raised from the dead. And listen, you, you don't have to live with the separation between the cross and the resurrection. You, you can plant your faith in the resurrection. You can plant your Christianity in the resurrection. You can plant your following Jesus in the resurrection. You can plant your worldview in the resurrection of Jesus. And, and you can do it because it wasn't Jesus' teaching and heart it wasn't just his teaching and his heart and his spirit that came out of the tomb. His body literally and physically came out of the tomb. If we go back up to the top of the chapter, we see that he said, I passed on to you what was most important. What was most important and what had also been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins just as the scripture said. And he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day just as the scripture said. And he was seen by Peter and then by 12. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Paul says, those 500 people that saw him, most of them are still alive. Go to Jerusalem and ask them. They saw him alive. Paul's writing to these people in Corinth and he's saying, I get it. The, the resurrection is hard to get your head around. I know it's kind of difficult to accept. I know that you've never seen anybody come back from the dead, but I'm telling you that Jesus rose from the dead and Peter saw him and Matthew saw him and James saw him and John saw him and a whole bunch of people saw him and they're still alive. Go to Jerusalem and talk to them. By the way, the first people to the empty tomb were women. They would have never publicized that in the first century. 
They would have buried that truth. Do you know what it means? The fact that Jesus did rise from the dead, do you know what it means? If you're a Christ follower, it means that your prayers are not in vain. The funerals, not in vain. The generosity, not in vain. Your service, not in vain. The self-control that you try to live with is not in vain. Your good deeds, not in vain. None of it is in vain because Jesus did rise from the dead. If you're not a Christ follower and you're still not sure about the whole Bible, Jesus and resurrection thing, let me leave you with this. This is what I want you to think about. Our guy Tim Keller again, he said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. And if he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. That's it. The one who rose from the dead is the only way to God in heaven. The one who rose from the dead, I'm following him. The one who rose from the dead, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the carpenter's son, I'm obeying everything he said. Or at least I'm trying to. Would you pray with me? I know this is some heavy stuff today, and I know it's intense. Can I ask you, though, if you're a follower of Jesus, can I just ask you to kind of just dig deep today and just process what your faith is in and what you're living for? Jesus loved you so much that he willingly laid down his life on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, and then he rose again to give you a life worth living. Would you just dig deep and confirm that today and give him praise for it? Just do that as we pray today. If you're not a Jesus follower, you might have more questions now than you came with. But I want to tell you unequivocally that you are a sinner. You've broken God's law. You've done your own thing. And your sin separates you from God. But God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. And maybe, maybe just today, you cross the line where you would say, yeah, I I believe that. I believe that Jesus died for me and that he rose again. And you want to accept him today. You want to put your faith in him. You're watching online and you want to accept Jesus today. Just pray this prayer. Say, Heavenly Father, I know that I've done my own thing, that I've sinned against you. God, I, I don't even live up to my own standards, much less yours. And I believe that Jesus died to pay the penalty for my sin. And I believe that he rose again. And I put my faith and trust in him. I want to follow him the best I know how for the rest of my days. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message and made a decision to follow Jesus, be sure to let us know by connecting with us at marathonchurch.org. 
If you haven't already, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. To experience more messages, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at marathonchurch.org or download the Marathon Church app. Thanks for listening to the Marathon Church Podcast.